Do you know what the scariest thing is? To not know your place in this world. To not know why you're here. That's... It's just an awful feeling. told you the story of how my friends in college created a special award just for me. You've told me a lot of stories, but I have not heard that yeah, one. I have not heard that one. Let me let me let me share this one with you. There I went to Oglethorpe University, a little college in Atlanta, Georgia. It's probably comparable to Walford College in Spartanburg in terms of size and such. And my senior year, my friends at the college created this award just for me and as far as i know no one ever has been awarded this since or prior to and it was the whitest white boy award is what they gave it to me and those of you who don't have never seen me don't realize that i have some of the palest skin on the planet and uh it was a perfect perfect award now i thought nothing would ever top that until this past sunday and this past Sunday, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, I, lead, I lead my Sunday school class. Sometimes I teach it, but normally I just kind of act like an MC, so to speak. And my job is to get up there and uh, and do announcements and take prayer requests and then hand it off to whichever teacher is scheduled to cover the, the class that week. And when I get up to the, the lectern, I see this little paint swatch. You know the kind of paint swatch you might get from Home Depot or Sherwin Williams or whatever. Yes. And I saw it and I read it. It didn't make any sense to me. And then later on one of my friends came up to me and said, "Now Robbie, let me tell you the story about that. I put that up there and I and I, and you see where I wrote down here that this is your name tag?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I saw that, but I don't 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 really understand why you wrote that." And then he went on to say, "Well, I was at Sherwin Williams and I was looking at paint cuz he's a he's a contractor and he was looking at some paint for a paint job and he he got about 15 or 20 different shades of white from the swatch uh, cabinet or whatever you call that thing, shelf, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he went through the entire litany. And then when he got to the last one, he said, when I saw this one, I knew it was you. It was your name tag. And that's why I put it up on the lectern so you could see <laughs> that this is your name tag. And now the name of the color of that paint swatch, highly reflective white. <laughs> do you see a pattern here whitest white boy 25 years ago 20 years ago and now highly reflective white i have That's been perfect. working on my tan for more than 20 years and it's never done a, a lick of good so you know maybe maybe it's time to buy a tanning bed for christmas i don't know i really don't know what's going on but it's just but you know what this is the we're not here to talk about my personal problems we're here to talk about your career this is robbie romiser and career callings where our mission is to help people Avoid the financial and emotional pain of a bad career decision by helping them find, prepare for, and pursue the work God created them to do. You can reach out to us by phone, text, or email today. Phone or text at 864-381-7649. That's 864-381-7649. Or by email at Robbie at careercallings.net. That's R-O-B-B-I-E 
at careercallings.net. Maestro, I think I need to start off today's uh, this segment rather with another edition of Johnny Paycheck. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. just could not resist sharing this article with you guys today. The name of the article, Five of the Dumbest Things Big Companies Have Asked of Their Workers. I found it on Inc.com, the website for Inc. Magazine. And (laughs) if you're working at a place that does something like this, that's probably a good sign that it's time to take this job and shove it. Now, we'll talk about some good advice on how to go about doing that in just a few moments. But here are the five things that I found in the article. The first one is this. Urban Outfitters asks people to come out and work for free on their weekends because business is going really well. (laughs) So the Pennsylvania-based purveyor of affordable irreverence recently kicked off the season of giving by emailing a call for urban volunteers to its corporate salaried employees and offered free lunch well, at least they did offer that they offered free lunch and a ride to rural pennsylvania during the weekends in october of course we're a little bit past that but you know you know there you go the busiest month yet for the chance to help uh, quote unquote help pick pack and ship orders for our wholesale and direct customers Without pay. Scrapped email subject. The scrapped email subject of the original line, or the, uh, let me restate that, the scrapped email subject line of the original email they were going to send out was this. Quote, we're making a lot of money this month, so please come work in exchange for none of it. End quote. (laughs) That was thing number one. Thing number two, Walmart asks employees to donate food, clothing to needy Walmart employees. For the past three years, the big box companies notorious or has been notorious for making the most money, uh, but paying close to the least uh, to its employees. And so employees are now in stores starting holiday collections for their impoverished co-workers. Walmart, Walmart's corporate uh, has responded with a bouquet of wilted statistics and a line so inspirational it could have come from Tiny Tim. Quote, it's not where you start, it's where you can go, end quote. Number three, McDonald's suggests workers low on cash, eBay their stuff, get a second job on top of their full-time job at McDonald's. In 2013, McDonald's addressed underpaid employees' financial struggles by posting a series of web tools suggesting ways to make more money to support their low-wage jobs at McDonald's. Suggestions included finding more work, reselling unwanted Christmas presents on the Internet. Well, thank you, higher management at Mickey D's. Number four, Coke Industries. Now, that one's not quite as much of a household name as some of the others, but Coke Industries tells employees to vote for Romney or else. This is back in 2012. During the 2012 election, several head offices broke out there. Uh, stone tablets, this thing says, and descended from their mountaintops with a warning for employees a win for Obama could be a loss for their gainful employment. Now, let me just stop there. Let me stop reading the, let me stop reading the article for just a second. That was a true statement. 
All right, so these guys actually got this right. Obviously, the writer of this article is not of the same political persuasion, at least as I am. So going back to the article, the memo from Koch Industries included the portent. Many of our more than 50,000 U.S. employees and contractors may suffer the consequences. And dear friends, they did. We have. But uh, maybe that one's not as funny as the other five. I should other four. I should have left that one off the off the list. Number five. This one is uh, this one's pretty good. Apple manufacturer Foxconn asks employees to sign pact not to commit suicide at work. You can do it at home, just don't do it at work. All right. After fourteen of Foxconn's overworked, underslept, manically drilled workers attempted or committed suicide during massive Apple production cycles in 2010. The Chinese factory owners responded by asking employees to sign a pact promising not to kill themselves at work or they will be sued if they do. Then they erected nets in case people were dishonest enough to go back on their word. <laughs> Can you just say that right now, Maestro, I think this is time to you know what to do. Here you go. This is time to take this job and shove it. The moral of this story is is that if you show up for work one day and the management is putting out nets outside the building just in case someone's going to drop out of the top window, <laughs> it's time to start looking for another job, <laughs> okay? Oh, goodness gracious. Well, you know, maybe you're in a position where you do uh, feel the need to go somewhere else for any number of reasons. Maybe you feel the Lord calling you in a different direction. Maybe there's something horrible going on at work that you just can't put up with anymore. And, um, I, you know, I, I can't say you shouldn't or should just drop the ball and run away. I think it's I think in most cases, if not the vast majority of cases, you really ought to be looking for where you're going to go before you leave where you are. Now, there are exceptions to that, of course. But what I want to point out to you is this is is whenever you begin the process of figuring out where you're supposed to go, whether you're doing that while you're still employed or doing that while you're not employed, you need to really have a, a good understanding of where God wants you to go. And part of that process and part of the process of avoiding trading one horrible job for another one is to have a clear understanding of what types of work God designed you to do and what types of work he did not design you to do. And what I want to do over the next few moments is to give you a little insight into how the career direct assessment created by Crown Ministries can help you gain this insight for yourself. It's something I've done for myself a couple times. I've helped m numerous clients go through it, the process. And so I want to start out this little um, process of insight, if I can say it that way, by quoting for you a, a testimonial I received from a recent Career Direct client named uh, Glenda. I'll call her Glenda just to preserve her privacy uh, because I'm going to share portions of her uh, her profile, her Career Direct profile with you, and I just want to keep it private. So let's call her Glenda, and this is what she wrote to me a day after we had a recent consultation with Career Direct Assessment. The Career Direct Assessment has given me an extra insight into who I am as a person and what that actually can look like in a job setting. I've often felt frustrated with different jobs and not entirely knowing why. Now I feel like I have confirmation on why. So often my job, job choices did not match up with my personality or my values. I feel like I now have a clearer picture of what I can pursue and succeed at with my given gifts and passions from God. What an encouragement it is to work with other Christians who can prayerfully help and guide us to a more fulfilling career and life in Christ. I will definitely pass the word around about career callings and the career direct assessment since my experience has been so positive, end quote from Glenda. So in order to give you some understanding as to why 
she was prompted to give a testimonial like that. Let's, I want to analyze a little bit about what the career direct assessment can do and what it showed her. And in order to kind of tell you what it can do, let me just kind of give you a quick overview. It looks at four different components of who you are, your personality, your interests, your skills, and values. And the assessment itself is like four or 500 questions. And after someone spends anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half taking those questions, this very uh, – this 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 assessment, which has been in development for more than 30 years, uh, will crank out a personality profile, a skill set profile, an interest profile, and values profile that you can use to determine what kinds of jobs and work you're best suited for. And when we get back from the break in just a few minutes, we'll dive a little bit more deeply into how that applied to Glenda. And then hopefully that will give you some insights on how this kind of analysis could give you some insight into who you are uh, as a worker and what kind of job environments you're best suited for in God's great plan for you. Come back in just a few minutes. See you then. Well, I'm here with Rudy with Geek Out Games talking about Teach Me Morpheus. And Rudy, tell me a little bit about how you see Teach Me Morpheus benefiting your business. Well, one of the things that we sell at, at, at Geek Out Games are very complicated strategy games. And part of what we can do for our customers is put together videos to help them really dig into the meat of some of these complicated games. So we see Teach Me Morpheus as helping our customers learn how to get more bang out of their buck for their game, while the store can also benefit by cashing in on the revenue stream from those newer players. Help your customers make money for your organization. That's what TeachMeMorpheus.com, a new online learning platform, can do for your business or nonprofit. To learn more, check out TeachMeMorpheus.com, referral code HISRADIO. That's TeachMeMorpheus.com, referral code HISRADIO. Only 27% of college grads are working in the career field for which they studied. The average cost of college is a little bit more than 18 grand a year. This means that 73% of college grads waste $75,000 and years of their lives pursuing fields of study they will never use in real life. To learn more about how you or someone you love can use biblical wisdom to avoid the financial and emotional pain of a bad career decision, visit careercallings.net slash discover, careercallings.net slash discover. All right, I'm in studio here today with Dr. Jerome I.I. of Palmetto Proactive Healthcare. Doctor, how do you see Teach Me Morpheus helping your business? For example, I see you for a sinus infection, and you realize you forgot to ask me something. Teach Me Morpheus can have one of our videos for sinus infection that you click. You can go through my instructions. We'll basically become a 24-7 resource for our patients. To learn more, check out TeachMeMorpheus.com, referral code HISRADIO. That's TeachMeMorpheus.com, referral code HISRADIO. You found Christian Talk 660. But our lives aren't just measured in years. They're measured in the lives of people we touch around us. This feels like my calling and my purpose in life. There's something different about this journey that's more heart-connected. Purpose is more than just your core of, of your own self. It's beyond your own identity. Everybody ultimately wants to serve other people. You can have everything in life you want. You'll just help enough other people get what they want. And that little bit of sadness in the mornings you spoke of. Perhaps you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing.
get back to Glenda. But before we do, let's reacquaint you with the show. My name is Robbie Romeiser, your host here for Career Callings, where our mission is to help people avoid the financial and emotional pain of a bad career decision by helping them find, prepare for, and pursue the work God created them to do. You can join us today by phone, text, or email at 864-381-7649. That's 864-381-7649. Or by email at Robbie at CareerCallings.net. R-O-B-B-I-E at CareerCallings.net. Right before the break came upon us, you were introducing Glenda. Glenda was a recent client of mine who I helped out with a career direct assessment. We introduced uh, her testimonial to you. And what I want to do now is to kind of dive a little bit into some of the, the details of what her assessment said about her because I think it would be instructive for people uh, to kind of hear how this thing works. And maybe some of the things that apply to her might apply to you. Well, we'll find out as the as the next few moments unfold. As I was saying right before the break, the Career Direct Assessment looks at four components of a person. And as far as I know, it's the only career assessment that looks at all four of these components as opposed to just two of them, which most such assessments do. Those four components are personality, interest, skills, and values. And as we look at the personality portion of it, the the personality basically is defined as how you're naturally motivated to act. So if you don't have a good handle on what your personality is, there's a great chance that you'll have a career mismatch, not once, not twice, but many times in your life because you're, you're not understanding who you are enough to be able to match yourself to the right kind of work environment. So in Glenda's case, her number one personality trait was compassion. Now, by the way, the assessment cranks out your top six personality traits with an emphasis on the top four, but her number one one was compassionate or being compassionate. And one of the career implications for her through uh, through understanding that was that people who rate as highly as she did on the compassion scale are great listeners. They love people. They like to help people, but they dislike confrontation. It's it, most people who rate as highly as she did. Man, there may be I'm sure there are exceptions, but most people who rate as highly as she did on the compassion scale, just do not like confrontation. And it became evident then, after we understood this, after she understood this, why she did not last very long in the sales jobs that she was in. She had been in two sales jobs in recent memory. One was as a uh, fashion consultant at a department store, so she was working retail. And one was in an insurance office. And although she had likes and dislikes for both, what really drove her away in both cases, one of the big things that drove her away in both cases, what was the uh, the, the confrontational side of, of sales. Um, even if everybody's being cordial, there's a, there's a back and forth a lot of times in sales, particularly in the insurance industry that she worked in and also real estate that I work in, that uh, gave her some, some stress, caused some stress. So she, she gravitated to the sales world, though, because of another one of her personality traits, which is the fact that she's extroverted. She's a very extroverted person. And so when somebody's very outgoing, what do most people naturally think? Oh, you're outgoing. You're going to love sales. You'll be so good at it. Well, if you only look at the extroversion portion of her personality, that makes sense. But the problem is that was number three in her hierarchy of lists. Compassion was number one. And people, again, who rate as highly as she did, don't like confrontation. So if you only focus on one portion of someone's personality, you're going to miss the mark. You've got to take the entire package of personality, find out what the top-level drivers are, and then mesh them all together to know what kind of things people like Glenda would or would not be 
suited for. So that was the personality thing I wanted to share with you. Now, interest is the second component this assessment looks at. And this is defined as what are you actually interested in doing. Now, the reason this this is so important is because, uh, let me kind of lead off with an explanation of why this is so important by sharing with you a quote from, or at least a paraphrase, from a book called Up the Organization that was written back in the 1970s by a guy named Robert Townsend. Now, Robert Townsend basically took the reins of Avis Rent-A-Car in the late 1960s. And at the time he took over the reins in the late 1960s, Avis was not doing too well. By the time he got done two or three years later, I mean, he was only there for like two or three years. And by the time he left the company, the company had been turned around and it was in great shape. So what he wrote about in Up the Organization were the corporate values he helped to install, and one of them was regarding excellence. He wanted everything they did there to be excellent. And the thinking was, if you do something that's excellent, it will be both fun and, just as importantly, profitable. And if you look at it from a a human or an individual worker standpoint, the same is true. The more excellent you are at doing whatever job it is you do, the more valuable you are in the marketplace. So why do we look at interest? Well, The more you can relate your work to areas that excite you, the more likely you are to be excellent in that. You'll have an internal drive to want to get better at that thing because you love doing that thing. Now, her number one interest was writing. Glenda's number one interest was writing. You don't get to write a whole lot in sales jobs. And as we began to talk about that together, the world began to open for her all kinds of of jobs that incorporated writing of the type she liked. And we had a great discussion about that. So that kind of pointed her in a different direction than she'd been going down for the past several years. Now, the next thing we looked at was skills. Skills is defined as what do I naturally do well? You can be interested in something, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to ever be excellent at it. And I can give you a great example of that. Let's just say that I did like to sing, which I really don't. Let's just say I like to sing. Let's say I love opera, which I really don't. Let's just say I love opera. And I want to be an opera singer. That's what I really am interested in doing. Problem is, I can't sing. I don't have the natural capacity to do so. So you've got to have interests and skills that connect to be able to be excellent at something. And whenever you do something that you naturally do well, connects with something that you naturally like doing, you've got a tremendous clue towards what types of work you ought to be looking into. Guess what Glenda's highest rated skill was? It was writing. So not only was her number one interest writing, her number one skill was writing. Am I seeing a pattern here? Yes. I am, and so are you. People always say that you should... uh, Let me me take it from a different angle. People oftentimes say that you should shore up your weaknesses. I'm sure you've heard that. Maestro, you don't have to get on the air, but nod your head or yes. Have you heard that before? Spend time shoring up your weaknesses. Yeah, you Mm -hmm. have heard that? Mm -hmm. Well, that's really a miss... Nomer. That's a bad thing. I've been giving me wrong advice? Yes. People have been lying to you your adult life, entire adult life. Um, actually, you know, there are going to be times when we have to shore up our weaknesses somewhat. But from a career standpoint, the emphasis, the energy really ought to be put behind strengthening your strengths, developing those. Again, I could take singing lessons for decades and never reach the level of an opera singer because I don't have the natural vocal cord ability to do it. And so when you identify something like the fact that you love writing and you're interested in it and you also have a natural skill for it, what do you think you ought to spend time on in your education process developing that skill so that you can get jobs that you're naturally tuned into and naturally wired for, can do more excellently, and will earn more money at as a result? 
Lastly, we look at the values, which basically means this. What do I value in my work and life? Many people think that they can be happy doing most anything that makes them successful in a material sense, but all too often, they find themselves unfulfilled and burned out only after a few years in their careers. And this is oftentimes due to a fact of a mismatch in values. ZocDoc, there's a story that came out about a company called ZocDoc recently. And uh, just to summarize it, basically it's a, it's a, it's a app and a website that connects and enables patients to book appointments with doctors. A recent article hit, uh, hit uh, Business Insider indicating that the atmosphere there was like a frat house, just drug use, all kinds of immorality. Let's just say that uh, for just a second, Glenda was naturally wired toward sales. But she's a godly woman. She loves God first. Her values show God first, family second, friends third. Proper order there, in my opinion. That's the proper order, in my opinion. She, Even if she was naturally wired for sales, she would be in a horrible environment in ZocDog. It would not match up with her values, and she would be miserable there. So that's the last component is to try to find work that matches up with your values so that you can bring all those things together. And the perfect job is the one that connects with all four of those things the way you were designed by God to be. Now, what I want to do here in the next few moments uh, play, is to play a clip, just totally shifting gears. I want to play a two-and-a-half-minute clip, and then we'll wrap up the show. This is a design to inspire you about how in control God is in our lives. Hi, baby. Hi, Jack. Hi. <laughs> Jackson Buell defies the odds just by being alive. We never thought that he would make it the full pregnancy, let alone months, and let alone making it to his first birthday. So for him to reach that milestone is a humongous deal. When Brittany Buell was 17 weeks pregnant, she found out she was having the boy she had always wanted. That joy turned to shock when she was told he had an extreme brain malformation for which there is no cure. She refused to terminate the pregnancy, despite doctors telling her he wasn't going to make it full term. The first time I saw him, I remember my husband bringing him around because I had an emergency C-section, bringing him around to me and he was like, well, his head is small. He kind of warned me. And it wasn't a great enough warning because I could have never expected it to be that small and him still be breathing and alive. He was super tiny. So the first time I saw him, I was terrified. Jackson was just four pounds in 15 inches. After a few weeks in the hospital, Jackson was discharged. I think the doctors thought he would only make it a few weeks. They sent me home with hospice and he was thriving in my eyes. So I felt I didn't need hospice, so I canceled it within two or three days of being home. Jackson continues to surpass all expectations. The brain itself not being fully formed, we really just don't know because the doctors don't even know. They've already told us he can't hear, he's not ever gonna see, um, walk or talk or babble or anything. And he's already, he can see because he reads books with us and watches Mickey Mouse and I can see his eyes going left and right and he focuses on me and he focuses on my husband. And Brittany says he's now slowly using his legs to walk. This home video captures him in action. Hi, buddy. You walking into your room? Jackson turned one in August. He now weighs 12 pounds, about half the size of an average child that age. I love that soft skin. Oh, I know. His little feet are so soft. His story has been shared around the globe on Facebook. More than 270,000 likes on the Jackson Strong page. A slogan his mom proudly wears on her wrist. But Jackson keeps hitting milestones and doing so many things doctors said he would never be able to do. The books can't write everything. 
So when families go through the, I just tell them to have hope and prayer, and I try to give them words of encouragement, and I tell them our story, because the doctors were 100% wrong. What does that have to do with career callings? If you see a picture, if you see that video, you'll see that that young boy's head basically becomes flat, about a half an inch above his eyes. Yet, if the Lord of the universe can sustain that life and make that little life thrive, just as he has that little life in his hand, he's got your career calling in his hand as well. Just as that family is trusting him for Jackson's life, you ought to trust your vocational life to God. Trust him to do what's right for you. God bless. CareerCallings.net slash radio.